listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I'm Lucio Arik, your host of the show, being joined, as always, by the publisher of the Barkboard, Mr. Jackson Moore. And Jackson, um, I think the the Bulldogs were kind of asleep there in the beginning of that game, weren't they, uh, against UNLV? Yeah, that one it got a little scary there, considering Bulldogs were 31-point favorites. I mean, not just that they played a little, a little less than their standard or that it got a little close. I mean, they were legitimately behind by two scores in the second half and had to climb their way all the way back. Unfortunately, this team's got uh, the guts to, to pull that kind of stuff off. We saw, you know, not that long ago in 2019, a lot of these six, the exact same players uh, at most positions um, had a lot of trouble closing out games in, uh, two seasons ago. Didn't see it happen. Uh, there weren't very really close games in 2020 either way, but uh, they definitely learned how to get over the hump at UCLA in terms of winning type games. And to do two in a row uh, makes it feel like this team really knows what they're doing down the stretch. And, um, you know, you would hope that they wouldn't have had to have done it against UNLV, but uh, that's how it turned out. Yeah, UNLV, a game that the Bulldogs were favored by over 30 points, uh, ended up uh, being a very tight one for most of that game. Um, Bulldogs having to to mount a late comeback in order to win it, um, and with Jalen Cropper pulling down four touchdowns, uh, it seems like this is beginning to be a trend with uh, with Cropper being the key guy for the Bulldogs. You see, uh, you see that uh, Cropper is now becoming uh, Hayner's favorite receiver now, Jackson, or is he still kind of trying to spread things around? Yeah, I mean, that was pretty amazing. Uh, before the season, I was asked uh, an over-under if Jalen Cropper was going to get 10 touchdowns. And I thought, just with how many receivers Fresno State has, and, you know, I mean, Hainer's way, so he's throwing a ton of them so far. He's, the passing game is way above what I expected since Ronnie Rivers hasn't scored nearly as much. But I thought the ball was going to have to be spread around so much. I mean, they've got six receivers that play a decent amount and of course there's always three receivers on the field I thought it was going to be tough for Cropper or anyone really to hit that number with all the talent Fresno State has but I'd say with four in one game it's pretty safe to be in well on his way there um, yeah it definitely looks like he's um, established Cropper as his number one go-to guy I think there was one of those plays he had someone wide open and didn't even look that way but to Cropper it still scored it was a little more difficult perhaps and had he gone to the other receiver that was open. I think it was Ty Jones, who he also has a very good relationship with, but someone had mentioned Cropper was even pointing <laughs> to the other side of the field to throw it over there, uh, but it still worked out, and uh, it's definitely very hard to blame anyone for wanting to throw to Cropper with the catches he made. Either he's getting wide open or he's making fantastic grabs or getting that toe right in bounds uh, on that one score in the fourth quarter, so... I mean, he's doing it all, and the Bulldogs even think he's got a little bit more to grow, too, in some, some of the areas in his game. Uh, the big knock on him just a couple of years ago, they loved getting him the ball, but he spent most of his high school days playing quarterback, so he was still learning the position a little bit, and he's just about got it mastered, I would say. They want him to work on a little bit more of his, his craft, but 
he's definitely established himself as a big receiver. He put on about 20 pounds in the offseason on muscle, and he's just, uh, I mean, he's as well on his way to the NFL as far as I'm concerned. Oh, absolutely. He is he's becoming the go-to premier wide receiver, uh, one of the, the best right now in in college football. But on the other side, you've also got Kelly, who is also uh, showing he can – he can hang with the big boys, and right now it's pretty much turning into a one-two punch for the Bulldogs. Uh, pick your poison, right, Jackson? If you if you cover uh, Cropper to where he can't get open, then you got to deal with Josh Kelly on the other side. So <laughs> it's going to be one of those one-two punches. Are the, is Hawaii going to have that? You know, an answer for this kind of a combination. Yeah, I mean, it's really intriguing because the last time these two teams played, it was this offense's first game together and uh, last season. And, of course, Hainer threw the three picks. It was really his only bad game as a Bulldogs um, relative to what he's done so far. And, um, you know, the coach Todd Graham is a guy that has a, a very good defensive background and he's taken over play calling and uh, they've changed some things defensively, but, uh, really, no one's had an answer for Hayner and Cropper and Kelly quite yet, and, and I don't see that changing this week. But as we've seen as well, um, an electric passing game is not enough to just walk over teams unless they're UConn and Cal Poly. You still got to take care of business in the other facets of the game. And so we need to see the defense have a much better performance and see if they can get Ronnie going a little bit more, much more like he did against UCLA. Yeah, it's going to be uh, uh, one of those. Uh, games that uh could go either way when it when it when you mention hawaii as one of the the rivals for fresno state you usually have to throw the records out the window uh because this game could go either way uh there's been a lot of lopsided contests between these two teams and so it's kind of be a kind of a wait and see type of a game just to see what kind of a, a feel for it early on is going to be but we, before we move into the Hawaii game, we still have to talk about what we saw against uh, a UNLV, UNLV team who has yet to to win a game this season, but yet the Bulldogs seem to have struggled right out the gate against UNLV, who just seem to kind of throw a different type of a wrinkle at the Bulldogs that they haven't really seen this season. Is it going to be a blueprint for other teams now, after seeing what UNLV was able to do against the Bulldogs, it looks like they they used the screen quite a bit to their advantage, and it was working against the Bulldogs. Is that going to be a problem for, for Fresno State, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right there with those screens. And it wasn't just that Fresno State hadn't seen much of it this season, but that UNLV hadn't done much of it this season. I mean, they looked over the three games and didn't see uh, any screen passes really, maybe a one or two, but it wasn't something that they spent much time on this week or in the week of practice leading up to the game because it wasn't anticipated to be part of it and they really got caught off guard. And so uh, when you look at some of those early scores by UNLV and some of the ways they moved the ball down the field, uh, it was more, you know, lack of preparation than it was uh, overlooking or not playing to the competition or. You know, any of that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, it was really schematics that the Bulldogs got caught not uh, got caught a little bit unprepared just from a, a, a schematic standpoint, not anything mental. So, uh, I mean, you got to give credit to UNLV. 
and you know Fresno State's going to be spending some extra time working on uh, some schemes against the screen game in the event that another opponent unexpectedly uh, pulls that out on him. Um, because uh, Coach DeBoer mentioned you know, after the game and on Monday, he didn't feel like they were, uh, as far as what they anticipated, they felt like they were well-prepared. They felt like the team had the right attitude all week long. It, they expected some things to maybe not be as sharp on a short week and coming off of a game like UCLA was being so physical and, and so late into the, the evening. But um, they, they feel like it was more about UNLV really catching them off guard schematically than anything else. And they're not too worried about a letdown scenario here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll see if, if that's the case or if uh, the Bulldogs leave the, the red wave sweating a little bit uh, on Saturdays in some of these conference games. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was definitely a problem. Uh, from what I've note, what I noticed, it was the one play that UNLV tended to to have success on was the screenplay. And thinking back, I really didn't see much screenplays against the Bulldogs. Uh, you know, with UCLA and Oregon. Uh, even UConn didn't even use uh, the screen very often, and it was something that the Bulldogs weren't used to. <laughs> and and like you said, it wasn't in uh, UNLV's game plan either. But they they put it in and seemed to have had a lot of success. One can now wonder if if that's really going to be kind of the blueprint that that other teams are going to going to utilize against the Bulldogs. And, and try and have the same success UNLV had. If that's the case, do you think, Jackson, do you think that the, the Bulldogs are going to be able to kind of figure out a way to kind of slow that down so that they don't have the same issue? Yeah, I think so. I, I just look at the way that this defense has really corrected just about everything. That's really been about the only hole that the Bulldogs have shown so far. Uh, I mean, this was a defense that wasn't very good overall last year, and especially struggled to stop the running game, struggled to stop uh, dual-threat quarterbacks, um, got beat quite a bit against uh, Nevada in the passing game, really the only offense they faced that had a lot of really good receivers. And they've handled just about all of those problems over the offseason and into the early weeks of this season and fixing just about all of that. Uh, the running game especially has been fantastic defensively. Um, even UNLV uh they didn't run the ball too much in the second half. They figured out some things there mid-game. Um, so I think this is something that if they really <laughs> spend some time on in practice, that it won't take them too long to, to figure that out because uh, it really is more of a schematic thing. It's not like uh, a cornerback covering someone downfield one-on-one or anything. It's about having guys in the right places, uh, being able to have more defenders in the area than blockers and, uh, it's easier said than done when you're <laughs> unprepared, but um, it should be something that they're a, a lot more ready for. They've got the safeties, I think, to chip in there, the linebackers to spread the field and the Husky position. A lot of those guys, I think, if they're in the right place, they're going to be able to make those tackles uh, around the line of scrimmage, around five yards, not being left in the dust for a, an 80-yard score like the Rebels did to them. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Bulldogs adjust moving forward because you know they're going to get it thrown at them. <laughs> they're definitely going to see that screen uh, more times now moving forward, um, and how the Bulldogs react to it will be how how often they're going to see it. 
Um, but on the flip side of things, the 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 Bulldogs um, going back again to to struggling coming out of the gate in and getting things going. Uh, it looked like they were kind of sleepwalking there for the for the first uh, quarter and a half until finally they started getting things going and the offense starting to click a little bit. By the second half, it was a different story. Is, is that going to be concerning for the Bulldogs, especially heading into uh, Hawaii, where notoriously it turns into a shootout, Jackson? Yeah, you know, it's almost become the norm at this point. I think every game except UCLA, the offense has come out pretty slow and that they still put up a ton of points. So it's, it hasn't uh, bit them yet, uh, typically, um, you know, to put up 38 points without scoring a touchdown in the first 28 minutes of football is still pretty impressive. And it shows that they can survive such an event and even blow out some lesser teams earlier in the season. Like UConn wasn't a great start. Cal Poly wasn't a great start. But the concerning thing is probably the running game. I mean, Ronnie Rivers just had 14 carries for 48 yards. Uh, Mims didn't have a carry. So, I mean, that was the entire running game from the running backs. You had uh, Hayner, Cropper, and Kelly all run in some different capacities. But, I mean, to only hand the ball off 14 times in an offense where Ronnie Rivers just seemed unstoppable last year, uh, it seems like something's not quite right. I know the offensive line didn't have their best game after having a, a really good game at UCLA. So, um, it, the Bulldogs just have shown, I mean, their passing game is just about unstoppable. It seems Hainer is always putting up his numbers and all the receivers are spreading it out there. But it would make things a whole lot easier if they could run the ball, especially early in the game, to move the chains, get a couple first downs, get some momentum and confidence going to where uh, the offense as a whole is clicking and they're not just relying on Hainer to sling the ball and, and get it sparked. Um, so it's definitely been a concern at home. Uh, we'll see if maybe if they go on the island uh, that they uh, get into it a little quicker and uh, see how they're impacted by no fans, if that is a positive or a negative for them. Yeah, it's definitely not going to be something the Bulldogs can can sit back and, and hope to uh, get that offense going. They need to get that offense moving quickly, especially against the Hawaii team. Who, let's just face it, neither one of these two teams like each other. Um, so it's going to be uh, pretty chippy out on the field. They're, it's going to take some some time to kind of figure out each other. And if you come out with a slow start, uh, it could be one that could be very costly for the Bulldogs um, against a team who has basically nothing to lose right now because the Bulldogs are the ones that are ranked. <laughs> so they're going to be getting the best shot from everyone moving forward, especially Hawaii, who would love nothing more than to knock the Bulldogs off of the top 25. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch. And uh, uh, I guess now we can kind of start to switch gears because there's really not much more to talk about that UNLV game. <laughs> we we know the struggles. We know the Bulldogs had to come back late in that game to win it. And, um, and now they need to figure out what to do next, especially heading over to the islands uh, to play Hawaii. But, uh, you know, our conversation we had before the podcast, it's going to be a little bit, different so to speak right jackson as far as where they're going to be playing because of the unique circumstances happening in hawaii right jackson <laughs> yeah i mean uh, first of all hawaii is the only 
program in college football or FBS football at least that is not having fans. Um, they're <laughs> taking a very uh, <laughs> they're taking a very cautious approach there, yeah, well, given they're, the, the they're, nature. They're too busy out on the beach, Jackson. That, yeah. that's, that's what it is. <laughs> uh, given the, the nature of the island and how the COVID can spread there, and um, they, they've been very proactive and uh, to much to the fans. Uh, dislikement <laughs> they want to be out there and they see every other college football stadium just about full they want to cheer on the rainbow warriors but uh hawaii will have no fans i think the marking band will be there other than that it's going to be pretty quiet and then of course they're not at aloha stadium either it's a you know, the big stadium where the pro bowl used to be held annually uh, it's not in good shape structurally uh, and it's suffering some budgetary issues uh, to where that they weren't planning to host Hawaii football this year. And uh, the university had to get on it to find a replacement home in a couple of months. It was a ri- ridiculous situation. Um, but they were able to turn their uh, track and field complex on their campus. Uh, it was about 3,000 seats. They got it up to about 9,000. <laughs> and it looks like they're going to keep on building it out to about 20-something thousand in the next couple of off-seasons. Um, there was a, a big plan by the state to tear down Aloha Stadium in a couple of years and build a new one, a, a new uh, you know state-of-the-art looking stadium and everything. But um, a lot of the projects have not moved the fastest over there. And I think the university's making sure they have a, a legitimate home football stadium regardless. So uh, Clarence T.C. Ching Complex is going to be the the uh, place for this game, it's going to be, again, about 9,000-seat stadium right there on the campus, and the, those seats are going to be empty because of protocols. So a uh, very different-looking Fresno State-Hawaii game than we've ever seen. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting one, Jackson, right? Uh, I mean, doesn't isn't there standards that the Mountain West requires of, of uh, having a, a stadium for a certain amount of capacity before – before you're declared ineligible to be a part of the Mountain West? <laughs> I thought there was some type of guidelines as far as stadium capacity is concerned. Yeah, I think at the NCAA level for Division One, you're supposed to have so many seats and attendance. I know um, the Kibbe Dome, when Idaho was the part of the, the Mountain West for a while, was I think only 16,000. So um, I would assume Hawaii is getting some sort of hardship here. And that uh, the plan is to eventually, in a couple of years, have a stadium that's still going to be small, but it would be uh, up to the, the minimum requirements. And if they do ever get on that new Aloha Stadium project, you're talking about a 30,000-plus seat venue. That would be a, a really nice-looking uh, place to play some football. Uh, the other thing uh, about this stadium that I didn't mention is that uh, the Aloha Stadium is very tall. It's built from the ground up. It's not sunken in kind of like the way bulldog stadium is made and it blocked all of those uh, island winds out there and now you've got of course this little stadium that's just a couple of thousand feet and the wind is just slinging through <laughs> right through the middle of the field uh in the hawaii san jose state game that was one the rainbow warriors lost by four and during the game they had a field goal that was right on line and then the hook <laughs> swung the whole opposite way <laughs> right before getting to the goalpost. And they had the ball at the 20 yard line at the end of that game. They could have been in chance to kick a game winning field goal had it not been for that win. Uh, on the opposite side, uh, they were playing San Jose State in that game. 
And the Spartans had a normal fade pass that just kind of flew from the end zone to four yards out of bounds to be an uncatchable. So <laughs> if there's any kind of wind, uh, it could be something that Fresno State's not used to. But uh, it was pretty windy at Tuesday's practice, so at least the Bulldogs got a little bit of a preview if that's the case. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're trying to tell me that uh, for two teams that likes to rely on the pass – they're going to have to rely on the run this upcoming game. <laughs> that, that that would you know that would probably put advantage Fresno State. <laughs> um, but one can never tell because the winds on that island, like you said, they can change at a moment's notice, and no one knows what's going to happen. So this is going to be one of those game time, uh, like like everybody likes to say, game time decisions to see what kind of a game plan they're going to be putting in uh, based on what the weather wants to do. Because if you can't throw the ball more than ten yards, you're really going to have to change the way you're you you approach this game because there's definitely not going to be any 50 yard bombs happening. Right, Jackson. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the coaches kind of shook off the passing thing. They're not expecting it to be too significant there. Of course, with, especially with Hayner, the way that he throws the ball, they feel pretty good about, I mean, of course it might look a little different when they get there, but they, they don't, they're not anticipating it to be too big of a problem, but really special teams is where, it could really change the game plan. As, as mentioned, if you're lining up for a 40-yard field goal and you can't push the ball through the air that far without the wind just totally directing it off course, uh, then you've got to see some more fourth down attempts and uh, to get a little bit creative on punts. I mean, they've got rugby punter Matthew Goodyear who hasn't played this year yet. Uh, perhaps that could be a, a role for him to play if uh, Matt, uh, Carson King's booming punts are, are you know, getting stuck in the air and flying in weird directions. So um, there could be some adjustments they've got to make, but uh, I don't think it'll be too overly uh, game-changing uh, as far as your normal offense goes. Maybe a play here or there, but um, definitely something to keep an eye on. I, I, I foresee a lot of more squib kicks happening in this game. <laughs> Definitely not going to be those where they try to kick it into the end zone because you might try to kick it in the end zone and it goes out of bounds at the 30. <laughs> so uh, squib kicks low into the ground where the wind can't get to it might be, uh, might be a good idea. I don't know. Who knows? We'll see what happens there. Um, but the, it's definitely going to affect the the special teams on both field goals and, and punts and anything, really. Anything that involves that ball getting really high up in the air is really going to affect how that ball is being being sent. So depending on what kind of weather is going to be happening in Hawaii, uh, it could turn into a very ugly game really quickly. Um, but moving forward... Fresno State historically facing a Hawaii games, and I think historically they're pretty neck and neck when it comes to the win-loss category. I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but I'm guessing you do, Jackson, right? <laughs> yeah, um, it's been interesting because it's been a little more lopsided as of late in Fresno State's favor, uh, but it is pretty close. It's 29-23-1 uh, and one in favor of Fresno State. Um, but Hawaii has only won two of them since 2011. Bulldogs have won uh, eight out of the last ten, including a lot of them on the island. I think they've got a uh, like a six-game winning streak on, on the Rock, which is usually, uh, for the longest time, it just seemed like the home teams were winning these games back and forth uh, in the early 2000s and 90s. 
And uh, the Fresno State's really taking control of this uh, series. Um, the Hawaii had a tough stretch there with Norm Chow, where the team really fell off, and uh, the Bulldogs were, yeah, I, I don't know what word to use, but Nick Rolovich had a couple of good teams there, and the Bulldogs still won, even in 2019, when uh, Fresno State was just 4-8, and eight, and Hawaii ended up being the West Division champion. The Bulldogs went down, out there to Hawaii and won on a game-winning field goal. And so, uh, outside of last year, where the team just wasn't where it needed to be coming off of no offseason, uh, the Fresno State's really handled itself in these series. In this series, as of late, and uh, I'm sure Todd Graham, their new coach, is going to be trying to do something to change that. Yeah, it's going it, to historically these games, like I said, you can throw out the record uh, out the window when these two teams face each other. Uh, however, the Bulldogs seem to have had the advantage here in the last few years. Um, and like you said, have found some success on the island when it was uh, relatively very hard for the Bulldogs to win uh, in Hawaii, uh, but as of late have turned that around. Let's hope that they can continue that streak and keep things going um, in Hawaii, especially with this team and trying to keep their their top 25 status uh, moving out through uh, throughout this season. Now, uh, let's start breaking it down, Jackson. Let's start off with uh, Fresno State's offense meeting this Hawaii defense. How do you see this one shaping out on paper? You're very familiar with Hawaii because they're one of the teams that you cover for 24-7 sports. So I'm, I'm expecting a more in-depth breakdown, Jackson, from you this time. <laughs> so, yeah. How do you see these two teams facing up? Yeah, so Hawaii has done. Uh, you look at Fresno State, and you have Coach DeBoer and his new assistants. A lot of positions he hired, and it was crazy last season, no off season, and you know, Hawaii went through a lot of the same things with Todd Graham in his first year there. But Fresno State was kept continuity. I mean, there was not a single change on the coaching staff as far as the on the field coaches. There was, um, I mean, all the star players are back. There was uh, a very few transfer portal additions detractions that were actually you know, significant players for the Bulldogs last season. It was really just, you know, going from year one to year two, making that big leap. And we've seen how they've done that. But Hawaii, on the other hand, has a, a lot of changes uh, coming off of that unusual year that has kind of uh, neutralized, I think, some of the progress they were hoping to make. Uh, they've got a new offensive coordinator. They've lost several assistant coaches. Uh, they've changed philosophy on defense with Todd Graham taking the play-calling duties away from the defensive coordinator. His son has been promoted to offensive coordinator. So it's been a, a lot of changes across the board. And then defensively is one of the places you see it most, where they brought in a lot of transfers on the D-line. Um, they brought in one from Utah, uh, one from Baylor, I believe. Uh, they've got some junior college guys that are starting to, to take off a little bit this year. Dewan Matthews has been having a really good season at end. Um, they really bulked up the D-line, too. Some of the guys that were in before are now linebackers, and some of the linebackers before are nickelbacks now, so they've gotten bigger on the defense. Uh, but uh, the, the D-line is the, the one that I'm watching just because they've got they've changed a lot there, but a lot of guys that were maybe underwhelming at their previous stops uh, or guys that hadn't played a lot in this Hawaii program um, so the, a lot of new faces, and the, they're trying to overhaul that. I don't know if they quite have the guys to do it. They've got Utah transfer Peter Tonga and Oklahoma transfer uh, Zacharias McKinney. Those two guys have been a bit of a boost in the interior. 
Um, and then more of the familiar faces in the back seven where uh, Darius Mosau is their star linebacker. And um, they've got Cortez Davis and Cameron Lockridge, the two cornerbacks that are really some of the best you're going to see in the Mountain West. And um, they've adjusted some of the others, the safety and the nickelback position. It's more of a kind of a 4-2-5 defense similar to Fresno State with a, a hybrid position at nickelback. So they're, they're going to throw some familiar looks and probably the secondary is the thing that's going to be the most unique about this team because Davis and Lockridge, those two guys are really kind of blocked down cornerbacks. Um, Lockridge was Mountain West Player of the Week last week for his efforts. Um, but the two of them, they're, they're just those kind of guys that make an impact in the game and, and doesn't show up too much in the stat sheet. So uh, as far as Fresno State's passing game goes, this could be the biggest challenge uh, for some of those guys to get open. I still think they have an advantage, but it's going to be a little bit tighter coverage than probably the Bulldogs have been used to as of late. Yeah, the, I mean, the Bulldogs have been uh, fortunate to have uh, very lax defense when it comes to the covering the wide receivers. Uh, I mean, look back at UCLA, giving a lot of respect to those uh, Bulldog receivers. And what did, what happened? It bit them in the ass. <laughs> um, it gave a lot of room for uh, Cropper to get open, and it's really uh, opened things up a little bit. Um, now... On the flip side of things, you've got uh, Hawaii's offense coming uh, up against Fresno State's defense, who um, has been uh, very, you know, very tough, uh, but had kind of an off game last week. Um, Bulldogs looking to rebound against this Hawaii offense. Jackson, what do you what do you see kind of uh, breaking down in this one? Yeah, so. Um Bulldog fans who watched, the, they weren't able to go to Bulldog Stadium, but if they watched the Hawaii game last year, a uh, little bit of a different look. It's not the run and shoot anymore now that Nick Rolovich is gone. Uh, they still like to spread the ball out. Um, they'll like to throw it deep from time to time, um, but it is more of a, a balanced running spread attack that they've implemented there. Um, they're going to run the quarterback a lot. Seven Cordero is their quarterback that's been there for a few years now. And they really like to run the ball with him. He was the guy that improvised in the run and shoot. In this offense, he's going to take a lot of designed read options and a lot of handoffs. They'll probably run the ball anywhere from 10 to 15 times in this game uh, by design. Uh, they've also got just this do-it-all weapon with Calvin Turner. This guy is just incredible. He was actually a triple option quarterback at Jacksonville University two years ago. They folded the program, and he went to the farthest school he could find at uh, Hawaii and made a fit into a role at wide receiver and running back, and he was a wildcat quarterback and returned kicks and punts. I mean, this guy just does it all. And he makes some of those bizarre plays like guys like uh, Isaiah Burris and Clifton Smith made for Fresno State in the past where it looks like the play's over, and he just finds a way to squeeze through or he's running backwards for 20 yards and runs or speeds away on the other side of the field and takes back off and scores a touchdown. I mean, this guy does some wild things. And so uh, I think Fresno State's defense is going to be a little more uh, talented and, and gap sound to where he's not going to make them look foolish like he did against New Mexico State and Portland State. He's got two touchdowns that if you haven't seen them, go go look them up. They're just ridiculous scores. But um They've also got uh, some new running backs in. Miles um, Reed is no longer there. They've got Day Day Hunter and a transfer, Dedrick Parson, 
those two guys are both going to touch the ball quite a bit. Uh, Parson is a Howard transfer who has really actually played pretty well at the Mountain West level so far. And uh, aside from Turner, who's kind of a running back receiver hybrid, they've got two more weapons. Uh, Nick Mardner is a six foot six receiver who is not just height. I mean, he he's pretty agile too. He'll juke you, so he's a one to watch. And they've also got one of the remaining thousand yard receivers from the 2019 season, where they had three of them. Uh, Jared Smart. Uh, he hasn't been quite as productive in this offense, but he's still a guy you got to keep an eye on. Um, in the trenches, uh, Hawaii is this new offense. Um, They've added a tight end. It was something that they wanted to do last year but couldn't really implement. Uh, this year you're going to see a tight end on the field just about every play, which you're used to seeing a Hawaii team that has no tight ends at all on the entire roster. <laughs> now it's the mainstay in the offense. And then up front, they've had a little trouble on the O-line. They had two super seniors who had to medically retire before the season. They've had another O-lineman get dinged up here recently. So not quite as strong on the O-line as they were hoping, but at the same time, you look at that lineup and all of those guys have started quite a few games for Hawaii. Um, so it's not an inexperienced group by any means. So the offense, it's, it's definitely a formidable attack, um, but it's not quite the one that gives you the nightmares of um, some of the, the, the Cole Brennans and the, the Changs and the Cole McDonalds as of late that could just felt like it could beat you through the air at, at any time. It's not quite that offense, but it's still a, a a pretty productive one. Yeah, every time I, I think of Hawaii, I still think of the running and shoot. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of, they've been doing that for so long, it's kind of hard not to think of them that way uh, and being more of a, uh, kind of more of a balanced uh, team. And it's just, uh, it, it, uh, for a lack of a better term, Jackson, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird to see the uh how hawaii has changed things up a little bit so uh but it you know with every coaching staff i guess it changes um i mean bulldogs went from from being a a, a really balanced team to a, a spread offense for a while there uh and you know it it, it does happen so i i guess i'm just gonna have to just Get over it, right, Jackson? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing about the spread. They'll be in a formation that, uh, aside from that tight end, doesn't look all that different from your run and shoot. And they'll do some unique things. They'll throw some, you know, they've got running back receiver hybrids who will move before the snap and they'll try to get them the ball in some creative ways. But yeah, it'll, it'll kind of fool you into looking at it. If you're just watching on TV, you're thinking, oh, run and shoot. You know, they've got three receivers spread out there. Uh, but it's not quite that. Um, and a few years back, they had Norm Chow, who turned them into a pro-style offense. And we saw how ineffective that was. The program really struggled to do anything with that change. So um, at least this one is uh, not quite as uh, drastic of a move and doesn't seem to be hurting them too bad. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely going to be this uh, interesting game to see how these two duke it out, especially uh, now that the Bulldogs are you know, essentially – by playing on uh, on Friday, they they gained a day back <laughs> from losing one after playing UCLA, so they've got an extra day. But of course, the travel time kind of uh, throws a, a wrench into the in, into the whole plan, right, Jackson? Because had uh, it been another home game, then they would have had that extra day and been able to use it. But because they have to travel, it kind of washes out, right, Jackson? Uh, it does to an effect, yeah. I, I would say the biggest boost for the Bulldogs is just recovery time because uh, 
against UCLA, you know, late Saturday night, a very physical game. Bulldogs had a lot of dings and bruises and things. And uh, Coach DeBoer made the comments the other uh, Monday that he felt the Bulldogs they actually had a practice on Sunday, so they wouldn't be uh, have too much time off over the weekend. And he felt that the team was healthier on Sunday of this week than they were on Thursday of last week. Um, so having the, that Friday game, being able to take the whole day off Saturday, a light practice Sunday, their normal Monday day off, they've had a lot of time to just kind of recover their bodies physically and, and get into a, a better uh, shape for this one. And having their normal amount of practices is big. Um, DeVore mentioned as an example, the very first play of the UNLV game where Hayner has Wheatfall wide open downfield, they can't connect. The Bulldogs would have went up 7-0 on the first play of the game. And uh, just a lot of small things that weren't executed, quite like the Bulldogs have done this year, largely due to the fact that they didn't have as much practice that week. And then lastly, uh, just the sheer amount of media interviews they had to handle last week after the UCLA game. They were very, very busy, especially DeBoer and Hayner on Sunday and Monday. Uh, there hasn't been much of that this week as far as national media goes. We're still out there in the local media uh, doing our normal thing, but a lot of the buzz and a lot of the hectic stuff has kind of gone away and it feels like it's back to normal. Now they just got to finish out the week and uh, handle themselves on that long plane ride uh, so that they're they're not rusty or, uh, or stiff or anything like that when they go out to take the field on Saturday. Yeah, it, uh, a lot of that uh, national attention that they received kind of was distracting for the Bulldogs, but now now that things have kind of died down, it should be able to get the Bulldogs' mindset straight again um, and be able to focus where they need to because, uh, let's let's face it, Jackson, they were getting pulled in 10 different directions, especially Hayner uh, and the coaching staff who were just trying to coach their team but we're, we're being pulled in, in 10 different directions to go do some media, um, you know, meetings and, and press conferences and, and not what. I mean, it was, it was a little crazy uh, for them this past week. Kind of affected how the Bulldogs played against UNLV, don't you think? Yeah, I, I think, you know, one thing in particular, I, I don't think impacted the Bulldogs too much, but it was just a combination of having the short week and then having all this other extra stuff to do when you had less time than ever, uh, I think it all kind of compiled a little bit and, and made things tougher for the dogs. And uh, But it really does feel like things are kind of back to normal. Even though the Bulldogs have elevated now to number 18 in the nation, um, you would think that they would have even more eyeballs on them, but it's kind of been the opposite uh, compared to just the theatrics of the UCLA win. Yeah, it's going to be uh it was it was a lot of distractions there for the Bulldogs for a little while. So I'm guessing things things will be a little bit more normal. Uh it'll help the Bulldogs kind of focus a little bit more and let's hope that they go into uh Hawaii with a different mindset and they can come out fast in the beginning uh versus coming out slow like they did against UNLV. because like you said if if uh Fresno State had connected on that first play of the game it might have turned into a whole lot different looking game, right, Jackson? Because that might have put UNLV on their heels early and and really kind of licking their wounds there. Yeah, you know, something I mentioned in my VIP notes, something I do after every game, especially the ones that we're able to, to cover in person, which is most of them, but 
uh, talk about a lot of the behind the scenes things. And uh, I was on the sideline there next to the UNLV sideline. And they, they did not have a lot of energy, especially on the first third down where they have a chance to get the Bulldogs off the field. And Jake Hayner runs the ball for a nine yard gain and gets the first down. It just felt like they lost the game right there, the way that that uh, sideline deflated. And after they got the stop and then they scored on the next drive, it was like they were playing in the Super Bowl. All of a sudden, you know, they were uh, all laser focused and hyped up and energetic. And I really do think if the Bulldogs would have struck real quick, that that team wouldn't have been able to, to respond emotionally coming off of an 0-3 start to the season where they really, especially the last two weeks previously, hadn't had much of a chance to win those games. Uh, something really, I just think, sparked within that sideline when they uh, felt like they had a shot. And as the home team that's uh, favored by that much, you've got to do something early on to make sure the opposing team doesn't get that feeling. And that's something the Bulldogs got to figure out as a, this new role where they've got the, the big target on their back. Yeah, it uh, definitely it would have it would have changed things. But now everyone needs to expect uh, that every game for Fresno State's opponents, especially in the Mountain West, is going to turn into their little mini Super Bowl against the Bulldogs because they're the ranked team. So everyone's going to be trying to be the one to knock them off of the top twenty-five and. Um, the Bulldogs are just going to have to get ready for the best shot of every team. So it's going to be, it's going to be one of those seasons where the Bulldogs are just going to have to come out and play hard every single game, or they they could uh, get surprised here uh, fairly quickly. Uh, but moving on, Jackson, there was some news late in that game against UNLV. Um, I, I think uh, there was a, an announcement done in the stadium about a former Fresno State Bulldog who is getting his jersey retired uh, at the next home game. And uh, what's the details on that one, Jackson? Yeah, that one kind of came out of nowhere. Um, they haven't done one since Derek a few years back, and they just announced at halftime that uh, of the game that Lorenzo Neal is going to get his jersey retired and. I know when these discussions come up around the red wave, he's usually one of the top names, if not the top name. People wanted to see that, see him get that. So it's going to be a pretty cool moment. They're going to do it at the next home game, which is against Nevada on October 23rd. And uh, this is only the eighth Jersey retirement, and it's really the only spot they have left on that, that uh, press box uh, building above the stadium. Uh, so they'll have to get a little creative if uh, they want to do number nine anytime soon. But uh, definitely a, an awesome thing to see for Lorenzo Neal. I mean, not just a great Bulldog, but a great pro who had a very long, very successful career and at a position at pullback in the pros that doesn't get a whole lot of the glory. So hopefully this will also um, get him some more attention uh, as far as people remembering his pro legacy and, and what that could mean here um, as you know, the Hall of Fame and that kind of stuff uh, gets decided in the coming years. Well, I kind of know how they can they can remedy that uh, that press box spacing kind of thing. Well, they can they can do the stadium renovations they talked about a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that that might help, right, Jackson? <laughs> uh, I mean, it it is something that uh, either they're going to have to start moving those to. Uh, different location or they're going to have to like you said become a little more creative to add more space 
or just simply re- renovate the whole press box. I mean, that it, it needs to be done at some point. So, uh, but it is it is something that uh, it, it's going to happen next home game. Lorenzo Neal, one of Fresno State greats. Uh, I still remember. I go back to that play. Um, I believe it was a a kickoff where he receives it and throws it across the field. Um, in in the NFL, I can't remember what play it was. Was it with the Houston Oilers when he was playing with them or something like that? Oh, my, my Tennessee Titans, the Music City Miracle. Oh, the Tennessee Titans. That's what it was. See, I was I was close. I said Oilers. It was the same team, but it was the Tennessee Titans. So you know what play I'm talking about, right, Jackson? Oh, yeah. I mean, so it, break that play down for people who aren't aware of it. What happened there? Where it, it For me, that made uh, Lorenzo Neal immortal to me at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's one of those plays that, one of those bizarre plays that just goes down in history where, um, you know, the they kick the ball off. So they're basically their only chance for the Titans to win. It's a playoff game, too, against the Bills. So it's basically score on this miracle player, go home. And that's exactly what they did. The ball goes to Neal. He flings it across the other side of the field, and the Titans <laughs> turn it into a touchdown, streaking with blockers and, uh, I mean, it reminded me a lot of um, when the Bulldogs had that field goal return a couple of years back where uh, Jameer Jordan had like four blockers in front of him on a play where he shouldn't have gotten down the field at all logistically. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, the, that moment was special. But I mean, for Neil, the guy that's blocking the, every play just about for running backs like LaDainian Tomlinson at the Chargers and uh, Eddie George at the Titans. I mean, those are two guys that are legendary running backs and they may not have been if they didn't have him blocking for him. So he definitely deserves his credit both as a bulldog and as a pro. Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, that play still is engraved in my mind, uh, cause I was watching that game and, uh, and that's, that's when, uh, Lorenzo Neal really stuck out to me and, uh, and now is going to be, have is going to have his jersey retired as a Fresno State Bulldog. A very special moment for him, and uh, I know he is he is an uh, an advocate for Bulldog football, and so uh, I'm very happy for for him and, and getting in basically getting that jersey retired um, from uh, active play uh, at Bulldog Stadium. So. Uh, very nice to hear about that one. Um, but there's also some other news for Fresno State. And Jackson, you you cover it better than anybody else at the moment as far as recruiting-wise for Fresno State. And Fresno State ended up landing another commitment for the Bulldogs. And what can you tell us about that one? Yeah, we had our crystal ball go in for that one a couple uh, or, or during last week and like we're expecting that news to come on Friday, and it came through. Uh, San Diego Lincoln High School wide receiver Nathan Acevedo. Uh, he's a, I mean, just a crazy talented receiver. He's one of these guys that we feel have been, who's been under the radar and hasn't quite gotten the offers perhaps that he deserves. Uh, but 24 7 Sports has given him an 85 rating, which is generally one of the best that Fresno State is going to have in a given class. And uh, his only other offers were from UNLV and Utah State. He also had one against uh, from Idaho. Uh, but he went ahead and made this decision Friday night. I think it was actually during the Bulldog game, or if not just right after, uh, on local television down there in San Diego. 
put on the Fresno State hat and got to have his moment. And he's a guy that the Bulldogs have just been after very hard, just crossing their fingers that no Pac-12 schools were going to come in late and try to make life difficult for them. And it looks like it's worked out for the dogs. Um, <clears throat> again, just a, a really, really talented receiver. And for Fresno State, uh, with all the receivers they have, they haven't recruited many receivers the last couple of years. There's not a lot of room, of course, but uh, all the guys that the Bulldogs have now are going to start clearing out here in the next couple of off seasons. And a guy like Acevedo could be that next wave. Him, Magdalena, who's still really young for the Bulldogs. And uh, we'll see what other kind of talent they bring in uh, in the next year or two recruiting-wise. But he's, uh, I think, a real building block for the, the future of the offense. Yeah, so uh, definitely uh, good news for the Bulldogs as they, uh, they uh, try to uh, completely, well, you know, replenish the cupboard because after this season, there's going to be some of the wide receivers to leave the, the program, but uh, it looks like they're they're trying to restock the cupboard, so to speak, uh, and, and getting things rolling back in the right direction as far as getting recruits in because let's face it, right now the Bulldogs are deep at wide receiver, but planning for the future and getting some of these wide receivers in now is going to be key for the Bulldogs in order to keep this program moving forward. Um, and, but Jackson, recruiting-wise, how, how do you see what the Bulldogs are doing so far this season when it comes to, to recruiting? Yeah, the Bulldogs are up to six commits now. The guys they have are, are really quality recruits. I mean, the ratings are uh, by 24-7 sports are about as high as last year. I mean, they're some of them are, are very high. A um, guy like Miles Bailey at defensive end is, is grading very, very well. He's one of the better commits Fresno State's had in the recent years as a, a high-ranking three-star. And um, They don't have very many low-end three-stars. A lot of them are in that 83 composite range, which is pretty good for Mountain West standards. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think it's going to be a smaller class um, just because now that you're in the world of super seniors where Fresno State has super seniors that have to leave the program after this year, of course, they're out of eligibility. And then they've got a lot of seniors who can come back for another year. And as we saw last year, a lot of them are probably going to take advantage, but not all of them. We also saw a lot of transfer portal entries from guys that weren't playing a lot. So it's become harder than ever to predict how many recruits you can take. So I think what you're probably going to see is um, – maybe a class of about 15 or so. And then that gives you about 10 open spots you can work with, uh, perhaps more if the NCAA allows a waiver, which they're talking about. And I think the Bulldogs will go heavy on the transfer portal or look for late junior college recruits. We saw the Bulldogs take nine transfer portal players in this last year. Uh, it's easier uh, than ever to get those kind of guys in your program with the portal and more players entering it. So, I think that's kind of where we're at right now and how it's going to look the next couple of years because it's been really hard to just predict how many spots and scholarships you're going to have. And then you you can't oversign. And then if you undersign, you've got a lot of spots. And so you got to scramble a little bit. So uh, look for a combination here of uh, high school recruits and transfer portals the next few off seasons. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting uh, because of this this whole COVID situation, uh, which could stretch out. I, I mean, for the foreseeable future, for the next what two to three years, still Jackson, uh, until some of these players are out of the system from that that COVID year, so to speak. Even though we're still in a in a pandemic mode, it only it, it only goes back to that 
that 2020 season, I believe, Jackson, where players were in the system? Yeah, it's going to be tough because you've got some players on a lot of rosters that are listed as sophomores right now when eligibility-wise they're true freshmen. They could be redshirt freshmen next year. And um, I mean, it, it's a lot of different teams are listing their rosters differently too. Um, so it, it's, it's a bit confusing, but long story short, if you played in the 2020 season, you get an extra year tacked on at the end. And um, it, it's kind of a case-by-case basis if players are using it or perhaps if they're even welcomed back, if they want to have to enter the transfer portal and go somewhere else. So um, it's definitely made everything more complicated, but also gives us more to cover as well when it comes to uh, personnel movement and recruiting to, to fill those spots that vacate. Yeah, so that that's going to go on for a new, at least another two to three years before that, that whole thing runs out unless we have another uh, another period of where the – play gets affected by by the pandemic so hopefully that doesn't happen uh and things continue to move forward uh but we will keep an eye on everything and give you all the latest news as far as what is happening uh in regards to anything fresno state football uh but jackson any final thoughts before we head off yeah just getting ready for uh, this hawaii game the bulldogs will have a bye to kind of recharge after that and they've got another long road trip to wyoming so these are going to be two you know, they're games that uh, are the farthest from home. And, of course, we're not going to have many red waivers. And it's, well, none for this weekend attendance and a few, I assume, for Wyoming. Um, so there's going to be a, a bit of a stretch here where the Bulldogs have got to stay, you know, composed and focused and handle some weird environments and weathers and temperatures and elevation even. And uh, if they can get through those two road games and, they got a stretch where they don't have to leave the state of California the rest of the season. And even in the road games at San Jose State and San Diego State, which will be in Los Angeles, uh, all those road games could even feel like home games <laughs> the way that the red wave travels, especially if you're talking about a top 15 or 13. So um, got a weird stretch here and then uh, kind of a race to the finish with some really good Mountain West teams still to play. Yeah, definitely things are going to... Uh really start to heat up now as we've officially entered uh, Mountain West play um, and where the Bulldogs now are going to have to go through the gauntlet of the best shot from everyone in the in the conference uh, to try and make it out to the end of the season to hopefully have a shot at a, uh, a BCS type bowl, uh, so to speak. So we'll see what happens if the Bulldogs can continue their success in moving forward. Uh, but if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. If you're looking for me, for me, you can find me on Twitter at RedWaveReport. Uh, be a part of our Facebook community. We do a lot of sharing there and a lot of different posts. Um, just look for the parkboard.com uh, and you will be able to go over there and like the page uh, and become part of that community. But as always, be sure you are checking out the parkboard.com. Uh, for all your latest news and updates and become a premium subscriber where you can get a lot of that information up front before anybody else does. So that being said, I want to thank you for joining us and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics.